This podcast is brought to you by The Business Habitat, a 12-month development program for expert business leaders looking to escape the hamster wheel and grow their businesses to scale. So here's the question. In our expert professional services businesses, where the rules were written last century and the world keeps changing around us, how do we as experts who have spent years, sometimes decades, getting our technical skills to the ultimate level, the proportionally little time learning the ones required to grow our businesses based on our own terms, rewrite these rules for ourselves? I'm Sam Dean, and this podcast, Business Habitat, explores the answers to these questions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Habitat. I'm your host, Sam Dean. I'm super excited to have Paul Jantz here, who I have known for a very long time now. He is such a knowledgeable person, particularly when it comes to the accounting industry and how to really you know, think a little bit differently. He's had got a lot of experience. I'll let him tell his story and, you know, how he came to be here. So Paul, welcome to Business Habitat. Thank you so much for joining us. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and a little bit of history and how we come to be sitting here today. Uh, thank you. And first of all, thanks for having me and for the opportunity to share, I suppose. Yeah, there's, there's a fair bit of history there, been in the accounting industry now, while a lot of people say, are you an accountant? And the first one is no. Um, <laughs> I have been, I've been loitering around the industry now for probably 22, 23 years. Probably shows the grey hair, which people can't see, which is a good thing. Yeah, look, it, I was lucky enough to get involved in our great industry, you know, 22, 23 years ago, where we opened up a coaching and training company to the accounting industry that was based on the Gold Coast. It was called GPL. We stood for three key areas, which was how to grow, how to become more profitable, and how to create more liquidity. So cash flow within the business. And you know, back then, this is 2000 and, yeah, 2004, I think it was, when we opened that up. Oh, no. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things changed since then. But yeah, look, we, we, you know, we were working with probably 120, 130 firms, Australia, New Zealand. And I suppose the one thing that I've always built businesses based on is going out there and gathering feedback from your market and then building businesses. And yeah. I call it my, anyone that's listened to any of my stuff is, I've called it my Richard Branson theory for a very long time. If you read How to Lose Your Virginity, it's, you know, that, that's exactly what what Branson does. And he goes out there and finds what people like and what they don't like. And you build a business that people will buy as opposed to building a business that people won't buy. Yeah, cool. And suppose you know rolling forward now to 2021 and these very interesting times do you think that people in your background in the accounting industry but professional services generally have learned that about building businesses where do you think we are with that at the moment because it is an interesting thing and we talk about it a lot that go out and find what your market wants and um, in my opinion is of course that they're not doing that but you know you, you've got a, a much bigger range so what's your thoughts on that now yeah look i think it they are good at it but they're also poor at it and i think that's mainly because our professional services industry is fairly reactive it's not a proactive industry you know we need to uh, react to certain things and there's things that, that are out of their control if we talk about the accounting industry you know we're talking about you know since 2020 and 2021 now we're always looking in the rear vision mirror because of tax 
or because of government changes or whether it's in the financial services industry, it's a lot of compliance around that. So it's very hard or even in the legal industry, you know, it's more of a problem solution. People come to you with a problem and you have to find the solution. So it's a real type of nature. But I feel I still feel that maybe and that's where the Pareto rule comes into it sometimes that you know that eighty twenty where twenty percent of the market probably is proactive and eighty percent can be better, but they don't have the time. So how do they create time? At the end of the day, I always say it and I've heard it from other leaders, world leaders that talk about everyone's only got 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but some do it differently and some are better at using their time differently. So how do you get develop that mindset? And I think that's an important part to anything to, to if you don't have the time to do that, you need to work out how to still get it done. And I think our, our industry's come a long way and mainly because of maybe technology. There's a lot of people that I had a two in the accounting fact show only a couple of months ago and our guest spoke about there's 800 zero add-on apps. 800. That's ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. It confuses because they go, well, what's the – everyone talks about this tech stack and what do I need and what, how do I do this? And there's no doubt technology has helped, whether it be, I don't know, with what Zero is doing now or with from a HR point of view or from a – but at the end of the day, it's still quite insular as, as opposed to – how do we start getting out there and talking to our clients? The old scenario of just having a conversation and not yeah, exactly, and not not relying on technology to do it, not relying on some sort of um, yeah, some sort of technology to go out there and talk to your clients. When it's these sorts of things, go out there and have a coffee. And you know, there's a, there's another person that I talk to as well, and sort of Warwick talks about having a profitable conversation and starting a conversation with clients around. Maybe just about their how they feel at home and what's what's keeping them awake at night. And we all know that those sorts of similar things are going to be there. But do you actually have that conversation with your clients? Yeah, and we work a lot in that space because I mean, you're right. Our expert businesses definitely have this mindset problem of time. I mean, you know, I've got to manage my time better. Actually, no, you need to actually prioritize your time better and find out what's important to you. And I think technology we find has made people a little bit more efficient for exactly the reasons you just said, like there's so much out there, shiny light and we're, you know, I'm an accountant by trade and we're certainly guilty of that. And I think too, what happens is that we try to do it all ourselves. And as experts, we think we can, and the hours for dollar mindset, I need to put the hours down and and stuff. Whereas exactly what you're saying by taking the time to talk to somebody counterintuitively, we go, well, we won't make money out of that. But the relationship build then scales and leverages out that. And we have to undo our learnings and our generational problems to do that. And it's not as simple as it sounds, but we have to solve that problem. Agree. And that's probably a little bit about what we spoke about off air in terms of, yes, I believe it's still about the mindset. I still believe that, you know, a lot of our professional services industry they see it as an expense item as opposed to an investment. Exactly, so yeah. If you viewed it as an investment, you always say, what's my return on investment? What's my ROI on that? If I spent $20,000 and there's a lot of great businesses out there. That's why people like you, Sam, survive and people like me sometimes with what we did because they see that and say, well, if I employ or engage with an external consultant or coach to help me grow my business, what does that look like? And if I'm going to spend $30,000 a year, what's the sort of return I'd want on that? You know, and, and that's the mindset yeah. shift that they need to have. 
I've, I've always said that when I've always consulted the firms, I always say to them, you know, you guys can pay me five grand a month. That, that's okay. What do you want to get out of that though? If it's sixty thousand dollars a year, yeah, are, are you looking to generate five hundred thousand dollars? Exactly. A good return on investment. What about if we did that? Those are the sorts of things that you then start to challenge yourself, where you find better people around you to then help you grow your business. Absolutely, and it was so interesting because we very rarely have a pricing block. What we do have is, or oh, how how much time is this going to take? So, which is a cost as well. And it's that investment of an hour now to, and it's the same exactly with the relationship, an hour now to learning and finding out what I need to do and then implementing over a period of time and then the value you get. And one of the things that we know for sure is that if you spend more time on the discomfort of stuff of maybe letting some of your tasks go and, you know, working that, that will create so much time, but intuitively, we struggle with that because, um, you know, of how we're actually trained. So it's interesting. It's it's the value proposition. And I think a lot of our, our guys think value is just dollars, but value is time and energy as well. And how, but how much energy are you burning every day by having these conversations, getting to the day every at the end of the day and feeling fatigued? And it, it's so, you know, it's, it's so interesting to, um, you know, see this quandary go on in the experts. But I think that some of that's starting to change now, which is... Um, which is really yeah, good, and I, and I think you're right. And I think it's the old, it's the old Gerber model. Yeah. You know, anyone that's gone and read the E Myth, and if you haven't read it, read it. Go on, read it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's an easy read. You can probably knock it over in two hours, and thirty pages in, you'll you'll say, "How does Michael Gerber? How is he talking about me?" Mm-hmm. Because you're well, working on instead of working in. Yeah. And people think, "Oh, well, I can knock out ten tax returns and charge three hundred dollars, and there you go. There's my three grand for the day." That's not the answer. It's know, not. It, it, it really isn't. You know, it's um. You got to be starting to think smarter and working smarter as and as opposed to working harder. Yeah, and I've also found in an interesting equation as well is the more more time I spend on my own development, the more time I spend, even money and time, the more my business grows and the more money I make. And it's counterintuitive because it's an internal burn. So it's really interesting stuff. So you know. Taking that and learning about businesses, I'd love to talk to you about professional partners. One of the goals of this particular podcast is to really start opening our minds up for different ways we can build our business habitats, the different models, and how we might be able to collaborate with other people. And collaboration relationships are so, so big. And I think that your model's really interesting. And I think particularly, you know, the the education around the ultimate product as well. So can you just tell us about that? Oh, look, I'll try and summarize as best I can. can... (laughs) In 10 minutes or less. (laughs) I I suppose it goes in line with maybe five minutes ago, I was talking about working on the business and and that brand and theory, I suppose. When we ran the coaching company, we had the opportunity as a part of a growth strategy to, to pull aside 30 of our accounting firms and we asked them, is it okay if we go and talk to 30 of your clients? So about an 18-month process in the end. Then we took them all away and we took them to Threadboat and we unveiled the data that we had gathered and we said to the firms, look, this is what your clients are telling us based on what they want. It's not to say they devalue what you're saying right now or what you're providing right now, but... A lot of the times it comes back down to value. If people aren't, if they don't value the, the cost of the service, I always come back, well, they don't value the, what they, they don't value what you're providing. So 
we spoke about how we can do that value piece. So to cut a long story short, that's what we created back in probably 2006, 2007, which was call it a private equity business that sits alongside your financial advisors to provide your clients with alternative asset opportunities. Now, fast forward to 2019 when I came back to Melbourne and had the opportunity to meet the guys here at Rem Capital and I'd worked with Sam Madden before and we'd spent a lot of time together and Sam said, look, mate, if you're going to do something similar to what you've done in the past, what would you do different? And I said, well, again, what I would do is I'd go and ask the accounting firms. Before we build something and try and get it out to the firms, why don't we call in 30 firms? That was Valentine's Day 2019. We got 30 firms here into the office. I asked them to come with an open mind, blank canvas type of mindset, which was great. They all came in. And we tried to develop the mindset, and I've worked fairly closely with PwC Private out of Sydney. And PwC Private, 19 partners, providing high-level services to high-level clients. And that was the mindset I wanted to take. Every accounting firm has got high-level clients, probably makes up 80% of the revenue, but we don't provide them any sort of different level of service. So that's the mindset I wanted to change. So we, we went through everything, started with a blank canvas. We worked through why things wouldn't work. So I've been risk averse. I said to a lot of the firms, I know how you think. I've worked with you long enough. So I want you to come up with all the reasons why this won't work. And then let's find solutions and whether you're happy with it. And a lot of it came around governance, AI, AFSL, so, and we ticked a lot of those boxes. Then it came back down to the asset class being an alternative asset class. It wasn't things like startups, which were considered higher risk. It was all about land-based healthcare. So the company invests typically in land, which typically appreciates, and then primary healthcare. So they own the land, they do the build, and the tenant is the primary healthcare brand, which the company is the major shareholder of. So there's a lot of key aspects there that the accountants ticked a lot of the boxes. There was still a lot of number of key things that they came in. The biggest one was if and when something goes wrong, and I agree, I said, look, nothing's gone wrong so far, but it will. It's, it's just, it's going to happen. So it's a bit like anything, you, what we spoke about a few weeks ago. You go into business with a partner, how do you plan for the divorce? Yes, <laughs> of course. Ideally what you want, but you've got to have that in your shareholder agreement. And that's what we said. When something goes wrong, what's the one thing that's going to cover? And it was sort of, I still remember one of the firms out here in Heidelberg said, but how do we cover our ass if something goes wrong? I said, okay, great. So we called in our, um, the director that was in charge of the AFSL, in charge of governance. He came into the meeting and I said, how do we cover this off? And I said, what do you guys ideally would, would, would you like to see? And they, his advice was make sure you've got file notes. And I said, I'd like to go beyond that. But what would you guys like to see as far as the firms? And they said, look, can we have a letter that says that we did not provide the advice to the client? The advice came directly from you guys under your AFSL and it was general advice and therefore we have a piece of paper that the client signs off on. When we sign off on the accountancy certificate because they're sophisticated investors, we get the client to sign off on the bit of paper that says we didn't provide the advice. I typed it up at the time on the screen. Tell me the wording. That afternoon, we sent it off to our lawyers. The next day, it was approved. 
So again, we ticked a lot of the boxes and that made the firms more comfortable that the company that they were working with was, you know, again, all of the boxes were ticked and that's how the Professional Partners was born. You know, the, the, the history was we worked with 350 firms in six different countries. So we know the model works, but this time round, and this is the beauty of hindsight, the beauty of experience, how can we make it work better? And that's what we've been able to hear to provide a service. We call it a private equity investment management service that sits alongside most financial planners. Most firms have got probably an arm's length relationship with their financial advisor. Not many people are carrying it in-house in the moment. So again, they know that the AFSL and the PI sits with someone else under a different company and it's no different. So the financial advisor and financial planner will provide personal advice or maybe general advice sometimes depending on their AFSL and we provide general advice based on the product list that we have. And we're just providing opportunities to clients. That's all it is. And the firms love the fact that we provide the opportunities and this comes from a lot of the firms. Every single month or every quarter, the model would be tweaked to suit the firm's needs and therefore suit the client's needs, which, again, that's part of our role, which is good fun. Hopefully that answers the question. I think, you know, there's a couple of things I'd like to drill a little bit further on that you said there. I think the process itself and what I you would like everyone to really think about there is actually what Paul just showed you as far as, you know, really trying to solve problems before they happened and how actually efficient that is. From a marketing selling point of view, it's efficient because you're meeting the blocks and you're acknowledging the blocks, but then it has a superpower in it too that you can make feel, everyone feel really safe. And then you you can also quite efficiently you know, it would have taken you quite a bit of time in the meeting itself to work through all of that and come up with those ideas, but then that's it, they're done. And it's not this back and forth and, you know, people eventually dropping out because of the clarity and issues too. So I think that while my initial question was definitely about the model, I think the process that you went through to build the model and the way you approach it with the potential firms, I think is something that is a good learning to take away from the conversation that we just had. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know that the, even little things like you know the firms were very vocal, and this is this is what we wanted. You know, we wanted the thirty firms of Valentine's Day to, to to be honest with us, tell us what would work, tell us what wouldn't work. Um, you know, they were very clear in saying that while they are developments, you know, we don't want our clients involved in the development because that could take three years, it could take yes. ten years. Yeah, so we wanted fixed terms, fixed returns. So we provided that. Um, they were very clear in saying, so what will be your fees? Well, we don't charge. So that's not how we make our money. So someone invests $100,000 at 10% over 12 months, they get out $110,000, no fees. So that was really important, again, to the end client. So there's not too many platform providers that don't charge fees. Everyone charges fees. We don't because that's not how we make our money. So... There's some really good benefits then to the firm where they can just offer or educate. One of the key things was we don't want you to sell, we want you to educate, which I loved. I come from an, you know, from an educational training mm-hmm. background. Yes. So that was easy for me to build a model to say, well, how do we do that, guys? What do you guys think? Even earlier this year, I went out to all of our firms and I said, how do you think we do this? And they said, what about if we ran... Every six to eight weeks, we ran an educational webinar series and we invited our clients to opt in. 
brilliant. So that's what we've done this year. So there's, there's just a number of key things, and we bring in external people as well so that there's more than one speaker and clients opt in if they want to know more. Cool. Fantastic. And I think that that's another key point is that the education, education is so important going forward. The more you educate, the more recognition and power you, you have definitely in the marketplace, but everyone just wants education and that actually gets rid of a lot of the blocks going forward. Yeah. So just quickly in wrapping up, you know, as we go forward with these expert businesses, and I think one of the unique thing about your offerings is it is actually solving a problem that's out there and, you know, you're exploring a very tough problem in the financial services and then accountants supporting their clients in a way, because a lot of the legislation has made everyone very fearful in that and the education issues that you've you are constantly educating to get around those blocks and things. So, you know, bearing that in mind, how do you think, do you have a couple of things that, uh, about two or three things that professional services can really think about in their own businesses going into the future when those compliance legislation problems are only going to get worse? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good question. I think it's, it's probably something that, you know, I sort of, challenge a lot of the firms we work with because I come from that coaching and training hat I naturally do that with a lot of the firms we work with anyway so I sort of challenge them to what are they doing proactively within their business how are they spending their time and are they working on their business so even getting out there and having conversations with clients one it will create opportunities and there is data out there 100 percent you don't need to be the expert in that field. If you know somebody, I've got a good friend of mine that's in construction, building roads, bridges. He's had a coach now for a good part of 15 years. You don't need to be the expert in roads and construction and building bridges to ask really good business questions. You know, I, I, I know he's, he's doing it. While he does well, he's also doing it tough mentally. So, but it's those sorts of questions which will then lead to further opportunities. And I'll guarantee you when you start doing that, there aren't too many proactive accountants that actually do that. But every business and every individual requires an accountant and they'll talk to their friends. They talk to their friends and that's, a, you know, the biggest marketing is, you know, marketing and sales isn't, isn't a key strength of an accountant, but yet it's considered the role of the partner. Word of mouth costs nothing if you're providing the highest level of service to your clients. So, my tip or a bit of advice there is get out there and ask really good questions and they don't they don't need to be tax based they don't need to be financially based they need to be general based you know and just how are you feeling yeah how are you are you okay are you okay what's keeping you awake at night mm -hmm. you know and there'll be things that come up that sometimes you know that there's there's more than likely things in the home that come up well how are you dealing with that how yeah. can I help you? Yeah. You know, there's really, really key, just simple ideas where grabbing a coffee with someone, taking them out of the office, having some space and having a really decent conversation, which is non-financial based, because therefore it comes from a care factor. It comes from, I'm pointing to my heart. So it comes from the heart to, I care about you. How are you doing in these tough times? Fantastic. And I think that that's, that's the key and it's the key to agility too. You're building a relationship and you don't actually have to solve their problems. You just need to, sometimes people just want to talk about them. Spot on, spot yep. on. And I think that's where you will ideally 
by asking the question, you will uncover the opportunity that exists for the CEO leader. Mm -hmm. Hang on a minute. I haven't thought about that. Well, let's think about that. What would happen if you did that? What would that look like? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Get curious. Keep following it. Well, I know we've got, you know, businesses have had to pivot to a certain degree. And I know that word's been thrown around a lot, but, you know, that could be the difference between survival and going under. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we are in interesting times and, and this, the time we're in is just a form of disruption. And, you know, we've talked about disruption in our industries a lot um, in the past. We always talk about technical, uh, technology disruptions, but, you know, COVID itself, the disruption has helped people and, it's not, you know, helped some expert businesses and not so much others. But disruption is disruption and it will come from anywhere. It could actually even come from your health, from your family working on businesses and actually keeping asking questions is always going to be able, you are then going to be able to be a little bit more agile so you can meet those disruptions as they come up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Just quickly, how can people get in contact with you socially, uh, socially on social, showing my age there <laughs> or otherwise, where can they reach out? Jump on LinkedIn, search for Paul Jantz. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn or you can check out theprofessionalpartners.com and you'll get a bit of a feel for what we do, how we do it, and more importantly, why we do it. Um, but yeah, always happy to chat to anyone about anything and share as much as I can and hopefully help. My goal is to just help businesses and individuals to find new ways to do things. So always happy to do that. Fantastic. And check out their virtual lunches. I always try to put them in my calendar as well. They've always got some interesting people. And I think the one coming up is on Divido Pay. So I'm going to enjoy that one as well. Yeah, we've got um, we've got two shows that we run every month. We've got our virtual lunches and there's one next Thursday. And then there's we do a Chewing the Accounting Fat Show. And that's a good one as well. The one that's, I think, on August 23. And we've got on, on the sofa, we've got the CEO of the IPA joining us live for our show. So Andrew Conway, great man, uh, doing some great things for the industry. You want to join us? Join us. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everyone, for your time. Um, we really, both Paul and I, really appreciate it. And as always, be brave and continue the conversation. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Anne. Thank you so much for your time today. We work super hard on bridging the gap between our expertise and our CEO skills to create more money and time in your everyday to create change. If this sounds like something that you would like to have a further conversation with, jump on blueprinthq.com.au and book a free consultation so we can continue the conversation. As always, be brave.